Welcome to Succession Stories, insights for next generation entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third generation, 120 year old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transition their company and others who experience disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. Let's rebuild your business growth strategy together. Visit smalldotbig.com to get your complimentary value builder score and discover where to invest your time for the biggest return. Janet Wishnia is an owner and former CEO of her family's 90-year-old company, Thomaston Mills. In 2019, they launched an e-commerce startup called American Blossom Linens. The new venture brought the Made in USA commercial linens company back to their direct-to-consumer roots. And they were well-positioned to deal with the market changes a year later brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. This is a great story about innovation and a mature business to keep investing in the long term. Be sure to take advantage of a special offer for Succession Stories listeners that Janet shares at the end of the episode. Janet, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm really excited you're here today because you're the kind of entrepreneur I've been longing to talk to. You're third generation of your family's business, and you have innovated and done a startup at a very mature point in that company's history, almost 90 years in, you've created an innovative new business. And I'm so glad to talk to you about that today. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. So let's start with your family business. If you could just give us a history of the company sure, and who some of the key players were and getting everything started and growing it through the generations. Sure. So the business was started in 1931. So my grandfather at the age of 18 came over from Russia during the pogroms with his brothers and sisters and he came over and he got married and he had worked in the textile business when he was in Russia. So that was something he knew. So he got a job working for a linen store in Philadelphia when he came and then eventually decided to got married and decided to open his own retail linen store. It was in the center of Philadelphia on a street called South Street, which uh, has become a very popular kind of destination area now. It's completely different now than it was then. But he opened a store there. You know, he grew the store. My grandmother worked there. And uh, when my father was born and his two brothers were born, they also worked there, just like any family business. The kids would live above the store and then work in the store. And so my father grew up in the business. And then uh, my father and his two brothers went to college. They went to University of Pennsylvania. At the time, University of Pennsylvania cost, I think it was $1,500 to go there. 
very, very different than today. Very different then, <laughs> definitely. Very different. So what year was that, that the company was founded? 1931. Okay. It was 1931. It was originally called Jaffe's Art Linens. So it was just a retail store where they sold bedspreads and blankets and sheets to people for people's homes. And so my father went to college and went to the Wharton School and so did his brothers and they graduated and they immediately started working in the business. They got married and started to have families and decided that working in retail was very difficult when you had a family. It was a 24-7 job. Uh, seven days a week. They did everything from the procuring to the ordering to the selling, and then they would deliver. They would leave at night, and then they would drive around Philadelphia and deliver, you know, the packages to the people that ordered. And they decided that that was, you know, it was difficult to have a family and continue on with that. And they wanted to grow the business. They had before that opened a second store in another section of Philadelphia as well. So they had two stores at that time, but they all started talking and brainstorming and decided they wanted to give a shot at changing the business. So uh, the idea that they came up with was selling the same kind of products, linens, to institutions like the government, like hospitals, like hotels. So while my, I guess my grandfather and one of my uncles ran the store, my father and one of the other uncles started developing this business. They started working, they started mainly on working with government contracts. So you can imagine that the cities, the states, the federal government buy a lot of linens for prisons, for hospitals, you know, for different, for the military. So they started by working on these government bids. And slowly, slowly, they started winning some of them. And eventually, that business became a bigger business than the retail business. So they ended up closing the second retail store and turning the first retail store into an office where they just grew this business. So they kept bidding on more things, doing more contracts you know, uh, developing relationships with different suppliers and it was growing. And eventually they decided to add another product line. They added office furniture and school furniture as well. And it grew and grew over the years. And eventually we started selling so much bedding that we decided to manufacture our own. So we began small by working with a current supplier and they were doing contract manufacturing for us. And then we grew bigger and we bought a plant and it grew bigger and we bought a bigger plant (laughs) and it grew even bigger. And we, uh, in the year 2001, one of our suppliers went bankrupt. And we bought a facility that they had and part of their business. So keep in mind that in the 80s and 90s, one of the things that happened was the uh, textile industry started migrating overseas. So basically, the vast majority of the U.S. textile industry went over to China and to India, uh, for the most part, and other you know, Asian countries. 
you know, it was devastating for a lot of the companies, which were mostly in the South, but some were in New England as well. Pretty devastating. A lot of the manufacturing facilities closed and moved their production overseas. A lot of jobs were lost. A lot of jobs, like something like 500,000 jobs, maybe more, were lost at that time. And uh, but we were pretty set on staying here and having a manufacturing presence here. It was kind of in, very important to us. It was something we were taught that we really wanted to employ people here. So by that time, obviously in 2001, I was already in the business. I graduated also University of Pennsylvania in 1981, and I pretty much immediately came into the business. We can talk about that as a sort of separate story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely come back to that. I definitely want to hear about your experience. There's a couple of things I want to circle back on in your family's history. So these three brothers worked together for years and years. Years. In fact, my father just passed away two months ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. He was... Four weeks shy of 95. I'm so sorry for your loss. And wow, what a long, full life. Yeah, but he worked up until about six weeks, up until he got too ill to be able to go to work. He was proud for his company and what they built. I'm very sure of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to work till that age. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Did he have a good relationship with his brothers? Oh, yes. They were very tight. They did everything together. They were best friends. They were business partners. They were brothers. They did everything together. And and so it migrated to the families as well. Their wives were close friends. The cousins all, you know, got together. We still have good relationships. That's so nice because a lot of times on this show, we talk about when family relationships go estranged. And it's so nice to hear that your family stayed close and the brothers had a great working relationship. Yes. And I think that's going to spill over into the values that will come out more as you talk about the company. Sounds like a number one value is is made in America. Oh, yes. And that was so important. They they immigrated here. They built a new life here. They they built something from the ground up and they wanted to grow it here. And they did that. And that's a really incredible thing. The other thing I just wanted to mention, I, I know you mentioned in 2001, you bought this company. It was a supplier. Was that Thomaston Mills? Yes. And one of the things I noticed on your website for Thomaston Mills is the phrase invest in the long term. Yes. And I thought, wow, that's another probably key core value that your company has. And a lot of family businesses have where they really do have a long term view. And it sure sounds like that for you. Yes, absolutely. The other thing that you mentioned was the transitions of product lines and and markets. When the company first opened, it was what's called B2C, to a consumer-oriented product. Yes. And then when the second generation decided to grow, they focused more on the B2B side and, and the commercial side. Correct. And I think that's going to be very interesting here as we talk about your experience. Yes. So you came into the company after school. Yes. Did you always know that that was going to be your work future? Was that like a foregone conclusion that, of course, Janet's going to join the company? It was, except during my teenage years. (laughs) So I basically started working, I have to say, when I was about four years old. I'm the oldest of three daughters. So my father had, my father, the one who passed away was 95. He was the CEO of the company for many, many years. 
and uh, I was, he had three daughters. So I was the oldest of three daughters. And since I was about four years old, he would be, business was his life, right? He wasn't really interested in sports. He really didn't have any outside hobbies. Business was his life. He loved it. And so he would talk about it all the time. And uh, when I was a little kid, he would he'd be working all the time. He would come home from work and he would sit at his desk in his bedroom at the time. And I would be sitting be watching TV and I would sit next to him and he would tell me about what he was doing and he would have me help with what he's doing as well. So eventually he would have me, you know, he would be working on doing uh, paying bills or something like that. And he would give me all the bills and I would put them in the envelopes. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And then over time, when I was, as I got older and could do more, when I was in uh, elementary school and middle school during summer vacation and winter vacation, I would go to work with him and I would help. I would do filing and I'd meet the people and he'd take me out to lunch and uh, it was fun. That's so awesome. And then as I got older, when I was in high school, I started actually doing real work there. Um, I would help in customer service. I'd be, I guess, like an intern, do various things. Sure. Now, what about your sisters? Your sisters too? Uh, my sisters did it a little, but I did it more. I guess because uh, I was the oldest. He was grooming you. <laughs> yeah. He was grooming me. Um, and they, I guess I, I had a little more, um, I liked business more than they did. So they, they each did, had different areas that they enjoyed, you know, working in. But um, that's, that's great that, that he brought you in and he was really mentoring you from the start. From the start. Yeah. But I went to college and I, I, I guess I went through a little bit of rebellion and uh, I decided I did not want to go to the Wharton school and did not want to study business. Instead, I was going to uh, study anthropology, which I loved and which uh, I learned a lot from. I learned how to be analytical and how to write and things like that. And then I, you know, I went through college and uh, I got to my senior year and I was, well, now that I'm going to have an anthropology degree, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to support myself? And at the time I was already dating my husband and he said, you know, you really are good at business. You really have a talent for it. You really should give it a try. So by that time, it was the end of senior year, and I really didn't have any other any other opportunities. So I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of the beginning of it. I took, a, I think, a week vacation after college, and then I went right to work. And I did find out that I really liked it, and I've pretty much stayed since then. And now I'm 61. And so you've been in the company about 40 years or so. I have. And so when you became CEO, I want to talk about the succession. Your dad was CEO for years and years. Correct. And then what was the succession plan like? Was it known? Did the company know? Did you know that one day 
he was going to ask you to step up? I would say yes. I am not the CEO now. One of my cousins is, and we could talk about that. Um, But I was for a number of years. And how long till you worked in the company you became CEO? So I guess about 30 years. I don't remember the date. I think it was 2005, 25 years. Okay. And so was that a situation in the transition where when, you know, you finally got the baton, so to speak, what was that transition like with your father? Uh, There were some rocky moments. Why was that? Um, Well, my father, like most CEOs, I would say, my father was very strong and very commanding and uh, very loving what he did. And it was very hard for him to give up doing what he was doing. And although we saw eye to eye on most things, we didn't see eye to eye on everything. And it was hard for him to kind of let me take the lead. It took a while for us to kind of get used to this. How did you ultimately work that out? Was it just the two of you would sit in a room and hash it out? Or did you have other executives kind of help influence change? I would say there were other people helping influence because I I think other people saw that it was kind of difficult to get things done this way. It took some time, but then he sort of came around to it. Was your mother involved? Well, my mother was sick by that time. So that might have also kind of influenced it a bit. My mother was already sick by that time, I think. Okay. Yeah. So for him to be going 100 miles an hour and so involved to having someone else uh, making decisions and then then the chair, so to speak, what did he end up doing? Did he end up going to more of a chairman role? Yes, that's what he did. Okay. So he was not involved. It was a chairman role. And there there were certain things that he, he was, he loved procurement and negotiation. So he kind of stuck with that end of things. He still had a, you know, part of his job was kind of overseeing a lot of that uh, procurement and negotiations. So that kind of kept him busy. Kept him busy. And involved. And involved, but not necessarily in, in the big day to day. Yeah. From a governance standpoint, just curious, does your company or at the time of all of these changes, was there a advisory board or an independent board of directors that that helped with us? No, we did not. We did not have an, we had a, you know, we had some, um, we had, we had a lawyer and an accountant who we were very close to. And so they, they were advising us about things, but we did not have an official advisory board. Okay. Okay, great. All right. Well, transitioning a, a little bit here to talk about the company and your creation of a new company, a new entity. Yeah. So you've kind of caught us up to Thomaston Mills and that acquisition and adding another factory and really growing the business to business linens lines. Yeah. To hotels and government and government entities. And now we're going to fast forward. So tell me about American Blossom Linens, which was the startup. Yeah. So uh, my daughter got married. She had kids. And I think I sort of decided I wanted to step down from the day-to-day CEO role and kind of do something different. So um, we had also had, I had mentioned to you before, we had had a furniture area, which uh, I can't remember the year we sold it now. I want to say it was 2015, 
2014. I might have been before my mother passed away. I, I can't remember the year anymore. But we had a furniture area and we decided to uh, sell that business. So we sold that business and we just ended up back in the textile business. And I decided a few years after that I wanted to step down and be maybe a little more involved with my grandkids and my kids and to do something a little different. So it took a little bit of time, but as you know, I guess the uh, current administration came into power and there was a lot more publicity about Made in America. And it got me thinking that, um, and then the whole um, growth of the whole direct-to-consumer business. Um, it got me thinking we had a lot of really wonderful products that we sold to hotels. And maybe we could take one of those things and give a, give a try direct-to-consumer, kind of go back to our roots and uh, see, what it would, see what would happen. So we developed, we took one of our hotel products, but we, we made some changes to it and we decided to you know, uh, make it with 100% organic cotton because obviously there's a whole lot more interest in the environment now. And um, we, made, we, we added some features to the product to make it um, a higher end product. We made the sheets a bit bigger. We made the elastic a bit thicker. We did packaging that has no plastic in it and took about a year, I guess, to develop the product. And uh, we gave, we decided to give a try at launching this business. So we launched in 2019 and it grew. And, and keep in mind that I knew nothing, nothing <laughs> about the retail business. I knew a lot about B2B. I knew about B2B advertising and sales, but I knew nothing about uh, B2C. And, and really, neither did anybody in our company. We all learned. For example, the, uh, the gentleman that built the website, our IT director, he knows a lot, we, he knows a lot about enterprise systems. We, uh, we have an Oracle enterprise system to run our B2B business, but he really didn't know anything about building a website. And he took it upon himself to learn about how to build a website along with people that uh, work with him. And so we all were learning. It was, it was fun because we were all learning new things. I learned about designing the website. I learned about advertising. It was funny because, you know, we, we went live with the website at the beginning of January in 2019. And I thought, oh, we're going to turn the website on and we're just going to get orders flooding in. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no. I love how you said you're going to take a step back from the day to day and then you created a whole new <laughs> and a whole new e-commerce entity which I'm guessing did not get you out of the day to day at all. No. Sounds like you were very much in it. <laughs> yeah, no, I was in it, but that's just my personality, I guess. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize at the time when I made that decision how much in it I was going to have to be. But yeah, but it's all fine because I love it. That's fantastic. And, and I, I have to say, I, I have I have a lot of help, a lot of help. So it does allow me to take off time here and there to be with my grandchildren and do things in that area of my life. Yeah, of course. 
And also from a team perspective, I'm just so interested to know how this came about because there's a lot of mature companies out there, especially now with the pandemic and everything's changing. And some companies had to pivot to digital execution very, very quickly. Yeah. I think in hindsight, and if I could use the phrase hindsight in 2020, of course, here we are. Yeah. But this all happened in 2019. So you were a year plus ahead of where everyone now is sort of scrambling. Yes. And so you kind of got lucky there. But I guess for, for the discussion of the process, you said it took about a year for product development. But what did you do from a customer discovery standpoint? It looked like you did a competitive analysis to understand the products. Oh, yeah. But how about understanding the market and the customer needs or customer desire for this to give the audience a sense of what goes into creating a new product or a new service or going into a new market? This is not typically something you do overnight, right? No. And you guys had the benefit of time. So tell us about how it worked for you. Well, we did a lot of a lot of research. We asked people questions. And I think one of the things you do when you develop a product, you want to do something you're going to like. So I kind of said, well, what would I like as a mature female <laughs> living today? So we did do a little bit of market research. We did pay somebody to help us with a little bit of market research, but not we didn't spend a lot of money on that. I mean, again, because we, we were trying to bootstrap it. It was a startup and we were really bootstrapping it. Um, so we did all that and we just talked to friends and find out, you know, what people would like and not like. And then, you know, at some point you just have to kind of throw it out there and see what happens. <laughs> um, you know, Finding customers was something I really didn't know how to do, um, but I kind of have learned along the way. I I have I have availed myself. We have some marketing consultants that are helping us. It took some time to find the right ones, but uh, we have some, and that's really helped us. I think 2000, 2019 was good. Um, it was a learning time kind of I try to figure out what works and what didn't work and do more of what works um yeah it's just you throw a little out there you find out what happens and if it works you keep going if it doesn't work you try something different that sounds just like startup CEOs <laughs> they say the same thing yeah it's iterative and you're nimble you're agile you're you're learning as you go yeah. And because you were bootstrapping, you didn't put a ton of resources. Sounds like you were using the existing team. Yeah. They were maybe taking 20% of their time in a week or something like that. Yeah. That's exactly what we did. So did eventually you created a separate entity and now there's a separate team focused on it? Or how do you do it today? No, still not yet. It's still, uh, we have, you know, as a result of the pan. Okay. So our main business before, was hospitality and healthcare. So you can imagine when coronavirus hit, what happened to the hospitality side of things? It it was, you know, it was not good. <laughs> uh, we sell to hotels, hotels were closed. Um, the healthcare side uh, was good, but the hospitality side was not. So at the time, you know, around March, I guess, we kind of rearranged people. Um, 
to do different things. The, the government side was also doing okay. So we took people and put them in different positions so that we could take advantage of what was doing well. Um, just another little aside. We also, in 2000, I think it was the end of 2018, we bought another plant called a finishing plant. And a finishing plant is what does the uh, uh, dyeing and bleaching for fabric. And this finishing plant that we bought uh, had the capability to make a certain kind of fabric that would be good for uh, water-resistant fabric used to make patient gowns. I mean, not patient gowns, gowns for doctors uh, to wear. So obviously in the beginning of the pandemic, that became important. So at, while we were also growing the B2C, we were also developing on our B2B side, this patient gown fabric, this, I'm sorry, uh, healthcare fabric. So that was kind of another thing we were doing. So we were switching people all around to, to kind of grab at the things that we thought were going to be the good markets. So um, we did uh, rearrange some people to put them in uh, to help me a little as we saw this business growing because we've grown 400% this year. Wow. And I think that's due to a couple reasons. Um, it, people are home more. So they're thinking about products they use at home. That's one thing. I think all of the publicity about the lack of PPE and the role that China played in that, the supply chain issues, got a lot more people thinking about where they spend their dollars. I have to tell you, in April, I started getting so many emails from people. I'm so glad you make it here in the USA. Uh, you know, we've been trying to find products made in the USA. It just seemed to bump up. So all of that those issues must have gotten people thinking more. So I think that helped as well. Well, that makes a ton of sense. Your product is sustainable, organic, you know, on the supply side. Yeah. Your factories are in, correct me if I'm wrong, Texas and South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina and Georgia. Georgia, excuse me. The cotton is from Texas. Yeah, it's the factories in Georgia and South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, so you're sourcing in the US and your your team is in the US and you were an essential business because you were supplying. We were. Did you go through any furloughs or have to lay off any employees? Well, we took out the we took the loan, the PPP loan. Um so we we didn't get have any furloughs anywhere. We kept everybody was employed. We did do some social distancing. We sent certain people to work at home so that we could spread out in our office space. And we still are doing that now. Yeah. A bit. But we were, the state of Pennsylvania for a while, if you were not considered a essential business, you had to be actually closed. <laughs> yes. And as someone who lives, I live in Pennsylvania. Right. And that was a very difficult time for many people. And it's still a recovery issue for many businesses. So thank you for what you guys have done to provide the gowns and hospital gear that was so needed. Yeah, we did a lot of sheets for hospitals. We still are doing that. Yeah, and that's really important. So your experience during the pandemic, which is, of course, at this time of a recording, 
there's a lot of implications for businesses. For yours, you saw some growth in certain areas, like you said, and then also the direct-to-consumer side started to take off, which is which is fantastic. Some of the company values that we talked about earlier probably played a role into this. Were there any in particular that as you thought about the roots of your company and what you would talk about as a leader with your employees, with your teams, what what kind of themes did you talk about with them? Well, it was very important that we keep every, everybody employed. That was really important. So we worked, you know, there was a lot of confusion in the beginning about the PPP loan. We made sure we worked through that. We had a an absolutely wonderful bank. We worked with M&T Bank and they were just wonderful with helping us and all of their clients through all of that. Because I know other friends who worked with other banks who just had a lot of trouble in the beginning. So that was really, that helped a lot. Um, we talked about being agile. It's important to be agile and change what you're doing and keep learning. We talk, And I guess a big theme, another big theme is persistence. Never give up. That was something that, that was my father's mantra. <laughs> that was what his life was, persistence. And all of the relatives know that, all of the employees know that. I mean, that's definitely a very important value in our company. And I think that definitely helped us through it as well. What advice would you give to other business leaders, business owners who are dealing with change? Um, be kind to yourself. It's hard. It's really hard. It's uncomfortable. You know, you're going to have ups and downs. But that's life. You have, if, you, if you're not constantly changing, you're not growing. You have to be always changing. <laughs> Um, and then kindness and persistence, and also getting everybody involved, getting the team involved. I, I think that's another important thing. Making sure everybody has a has has a say in things and can speak their mind, even if you don't follow what they suggest. Everyone has to feel comfortable that they have a say. I think that's great advice. How do you think about fear? It sounds like the new venture that you took on wasn't super risky, right? You didn't take on any extra money or loans. You bootstrapped it. Right. So how did you feel about taking risk at that time? And then how would you advise leaders to kick fear to the curb? <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm, I, I definitely am fearful at times, to be honest. I think everyone is. Um, I have to say I have a good support system. My husband is my rock. He definitely helps me through those times. Um, exercise helps me through those times. <laughs> but um, I don't know if you're not, if you're fearful and you don't take a risk, again, you don't grow. And like, what's it all about if you're not growing and learning? So, you know, you got to assess the risk. Everybody has a different uh, comfort level with risk. Um, certainly from, a, um, you know, we, we did have to put out uh, some money for inventory. Uh, you know, when you, uh, the, the process of, of manufacturing a textile item, believe it or not, it is, it's a long process. 
from the buying of the cotton to the spinning of the yarn, it's it doesn't happen overnight. So you have to, uh, you know, you do have to invest. You have to put out capital for that. And certainly it was a little scary. This We, we were buying something that we wouldn't really be able to use in hotels. It was a very higher priced item. Um, even though we do sell upper echelon hotels, this was really a much higher price item. Um, so we did have to make a capital investment and it was a little scary thinking, hmm, what if I don't sell that? <laughs> but uh, if you don't take a chance, you never learn. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. What's the toughest part about being a leader of a family enterprise? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's tough being a leader, period. And I guess I think... I think the answer is the same for being a leader, period, as it is being a family business leader. I think it's people and people just have different opinions and different ideas and trying to get everyone to be on the same page. You know, I think I think it's that way in a family business and in a non-family business, too. Absolutely, it is. Just trying to get people moving in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things that my father and his brothers taught us, you know, they they wouldn't always agree on everything either. I mean, we definitely saw that. We saw that. The employees saw that. But they would disagree when they were at work. But when they left to go to lunch, they were friends and loving brothers again. So there was no grudges held, no bad feelings. Work was work. And family was family. It was two kind of different realms. <laughs> they were able to separate it and move on. Yes. And they taught us that too. That's important. And I'm sure that's an important aspect of your leadership style. And also, I would assume with your cousin now as the CEO and how and how he's running the business. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to the next couple of questions, just starting to wrap it up here for us today. Thank you so much for taking your time. I'm curious how people can find you online and find your company. So our website is AmericanBlossomLinens.com. We have uh, Instagram and Facebook, and it's at AmericanBlossomLinens.com. And you can find me there and the company there. Awesome. And I think you said you had a special discount you wanted to offer the listeners, which we super appreciate. So is there a something special that they can do if they're interested in trying out some products? Yes, we'd love to have them give it a try. The uh, The code would be SUCCESSION20. SUCCESSION20. SUCCESSION20 for 20% off your first order. Just type it in to the uh, discount box. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. And so last question for you. I love to ask all my guests is if you have a favorite saying or mantra regarding entrepreneurship. Um, I think it's the same answer I gave before. It's persistence and kindness. Just being kind to the people around you, developing your team, but just being persistent and showing everyone that you're persistent. And if something doesn't work, change course. I, I, that's kind of the way I live my life, pretty much. 
I love it. Persistence. And it's such a powerful word right now and, and helping people get through to what's next for them and their companies and their lives. Yeah. Janet, thank you so much for being here today. It was really fun to hear about your story. Oh, thank you. The growth of your new company and congratulations on its success. And thank you for all you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really had fun. (laughs) Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big for strategic planning with your team to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to schedule a call with me. I'd love to connect with you. Be sure to catch the next Succession Stories episode with more insights for next generation entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening.